You know, um, it would be 30 years ago now, 30 years ago, um, a most amazing thing happened in my life. I never intended, I was uh, up to about 20 years of age, I was training as an electronics engineer. And then something amazing happened in my life where I came into contact with a, a Christian and he talked about the Bible and the relevancy of the Bible, a bit like the story that we've just seen up on the, the, the film that we've just seen. And as I read this book called The Bible some 30 years ago, it changed the very course of my life that now 30 years later I find myself as a minister in the life of a church. It radically transformed and answered so many amazing questions that it changed the very course of my life. And it's that that I just want to take just a couple of moments just to look at three things. I want to look at this book, the Bible, just very briefly, just for a moment or two, and uh, just answer just three areas. I want to look at three things regarding the Bible. Number one, that the amazing nature that the book is so incredibly unique Number two, it's amazing that not many people realize this, but it is more reliable than you think. It's reliable, so it's unique, it's reliable, and it can be relied upon. And then third and finally, that it's not only reliable, but it's a revelation. It's God's self-revelation. It's where God wants to show and reveal himself to human beings. And as I read the Bible 30 years ago, I came into a discovery of God. Up to that point in my life and time, I didn't really believe in too much. No one pashed me over the head, pashed me, bashed me over the head with the Bible. No one forced me or taught me or pushed me into anything, I discovered this for myself as I read and found that God revealed himself to me. So just want to look at those three brief things. And in the story that we've just read, you know, the father gave the keys to his son. He gave them in his Bible. If only he'd looked. And sometimes in life, if only we look, if sometimes we only found out for ourselves, and that's exactly what I did some of those years ago. So first of all, unique. The Bible is incredibly unique. You might say, well, it's just like any other book and a holy book. But it's quite amazing, actually, if you sit and think just for a moment. We're going to do that just for a few moments this morning, not too long. So just hang on to your seat just for a moment or two. You know, it's a, it's a book that's different from others for so many reasons, and it's so incredibly unique. Um, it's been written over nearly 2,000 years. It didn't just take a year or 10 years as, as a novelist, thinking it's been written over the course of about 2,000 years. It's been written by over something like 40 generations. Over the case of 40 generations, a long time, it's quite amazing. Written by over 40 authors. So you find this book that's all stuck here together like this before you, and you can get them looking like this, or you can get them, as my daughters have found, fluffy and pink, or whatever it, whatever it is. You can get a Bible, any shape or form today. But as one book, it's been written by 40 different authors. Kings, peasants, philosophers, fishermen, poets, all sorts of different people. A man called Moses was a political leader trained in the Egyptian court. A man called Peter was a fisherman. He's written in parts of the Bible. Um, a guy called Amos in the Old Testament, he was a herdsman. Joshua, a military general. Nehemiah was a cupbearer for a Babylonian king. A man called Daniel became a prime minister in the Babylonian Empire. Luke, the book of Luke, the Gospel of Luke, he was a doctor, a physician. David was a shepherd boy who once later became a king. A guy called Matthew, the book of Matthew in the New Testament, he was a tax collector. Ah, oh, yeah, interesting, isn't it? It made you go quiet. A man called Paul was a rabbi or religious teacher that persecuted people like me, would have persecuted a Christian. It's quite amazing. And go on, we could go on. 
It was written in different places. Moses wrote it from the wilderness. Jeremiah, a prophet in the Old Testament, wrote it in a dungeon. Did you know that? A man called Paul wrote parts of it, chained up to a Roman soldier in prison. Luke, while he was traveling. John, on an island called Patmos, off the coast of Greece, of all places. Could have been a nice holiday today, but at the time for him, it wasn't very nice. Daniel, on a hillside and in a palace. So it's incredible that this amazing and unique book written so many different people all over the place, all over time, written at different times. David wrote it at a time of war. Solomon wrote um, uh, uh, Proverbs in times of peace. It's written in different moods. Some have written it in the height of great joy, others from the depths of despair. Written all over the world, written in different languages, written in Hebrew in the Old Testament, Aramaic, during the time of a man called Alexander, in Greek, the New Testament, written at the known language of the day. The subject matter of the Bible, you'll be really quite surprised. It's not all just religious stuff, praying in a corner and looking all nice and pretty. But the subject matter is quite incredible, actually. If you look at it, it covers everything in life. Love, peace, war, murder, violence, hate, relationships, forgiveness, Family, work, money, relationship with God, hope, grace, mercy, anxiety, and how to deal with it, overcoming depression. Amazing things, a whole myriad of things in life. Marital relationships, children, bringing them up, you name it. Work, life, everything, money, finances. Want to make a good investment? Read the Bible. It talks about making investments and what to do with your money. It's quite amazing. And in a time of financial crisis, you're getting all sorts of different advice, aren't you? Yet after all of this, it's still so varied, so many different things. It's still come together as one. It's not been lost. It's not been scattered here. And the message seems to come clear and true in one message. We'll look at that in a moment or two. It's unique in its circulation. Not only is it a unique book in that respect, it's unique in its circulation. You know, the Bible is still one of the number one world's best sellers. You don't realize that. We're not told that. People don't like to talk about that. They get bored from talking about it because it's been the number one bestseller for years and years and years. So it doesn't make the news anymore. A man called Professor John Drain, um, writing from Stirling University, said it is one of the top bestsellers in the whole world. A guy called Josh McDowell uh, from Campus Crusade for Christ says, the Bible has been read by more people and published in more languages than any other book on the face of the planet. It's incredible. Its circulation runs to hundreds of millions across the world, spread throughout different countries. Uh, Now something in the region of two, translated in something in the region of 2,000 different languages. It's unique. It's incredible. What an amazing book. How many other books can claim that? Even the top bestseller at the moment, perhaps. Can't even claim that. Not only that, is it unique in its circulation, unique as a book. It's unique in its survival. 2,000 years, 40 generations, over 40 different authors, written in the desert, written in Greece, written in Asia, written in Palestine, written all over the place, it still survived together. The Bible has been compared, uh, to, when compared to other ancient writings and manuscripts, 
You know, it's been held together and it survived. It survived war, it survived burnings, it survived bannings. It survived our complacency even. But the Bible is still here together as a united and as one amazing book. It's um, withstood vicious attacks. It's been tried to be burned. It's been banned and all sorts of things. A man called Voltaire, French philosopher, said that in his lifetime, saying in seven, he said this in 1778, within 100 years, Christianity would be extinct. Christianity is live and living. Don't let people say to you um, that it's dead and defunct and it's irrelevant because more and more, even in our own church, the amount of young people that we'll see will, will say it's irrelevant and alive. It's not dead and defunct. And... Uh, we're here, and Voltaire is not. And so that goes to say what it speaks for its own truth. So it's unique in that respect. Second thing, moving on really quickly then. Can we say it be reliable? Written a long, long time ago. 2,000 years is a long time, isn't it? Written all over the place. Written by people a long, long time ago. Can we say, is it reliable? If we say it's unique, is it reliable? There are, I don't know if you knew this, with this, we'll try and keep this very brief and not get too technical. But there are over 24,000 surviving manuscript copies of the New Testament in circulation. That might not bother you at all. It might not mean a thing to you. And you might be sitting there saying to yourself right now, whoopee-doo, the dinner is burning. Hurry up. I want to get out of here. But there are over 24,000. Now, that will have a significance in a moment. So just hang on to that just for a second or two. There are something like five and a half thousand full copies of the New Testament. The New Testament, the second part of the Bible. There are over five and a half thousand full copies surviving and 24,000 part copies, fragments and full copies altogether. Um, Written. We have, they were written, the New Testament written about 60 years after Jesus. So within a hundred years, the first 60 years after Jesus, the first writings. And we have today, of those 24,000 and 5,000 full copies, they would survive about within 150 to 200 years after Jesus Christ. So there are 24,000 part and 5,500 full manuscripts of the New Testament with written, which we have, within 100 to 150 years after Jesus was alive. Now you're going to say to yourself, big deal, don't believe it. Well, whether you, you know whether you knew this, but when you compare that to other ancient manuscripts within that survival of 150 to 200 years, it, it might not it might sound like a long time, but most people would agree that Julius Caesar lived, existed, is taught in history, that his amazing campaign called the Gallic Wars, he led a campaign to um, take Germany, France, and then ultimately Britannia, England. The, the, Britain, Scotland and and England and Wales and Ireland. Um, His Gallic Wars was originally written in 100 to 44 BC. The earliest surviving copy of Caesar's Gallic War was written 900 years. The earliest surviving copy is 900 years after Julius Caesar, of which there are 10. 900 years after Julius Caesar, there are 10 copies of the Gallic Wars. It's a fact. It's history. It's in the Encyclopedia Britannica as fact history. Ten copies, 900 years. And yet there are 24,000 copies within 150 to 200 years of the New Testament. The only reason people would perhaps doubt the reliability is because the Bible is religious. 
there lies a bit of a reasoning why people might have a, 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 a plan to disbelief. It's quite amazing, in actual fact. And so in sense of reliability, it could, I could go on, but time does not permit, and you're beginning to go glazed-eyed, so I don't want to go any further. But if you look into it, you can find a lot, lot, lot more. Um, a man called Professor F.F. F. Bruce said these words. Looking at textual criticism and looking at the... Um, Evidence for ancient writings in classical history and Bible writings. And looking at them all together, he said this. I've only touched the tip of the iceberg. I haven't given enough information, but just a little bit to suffice for this morning only. The evidence for the New Testament writings is so much greater than the evidence for many writings in classical authors, the authenticity of which no one dreams of questioning. And if the New Testament were a collection of secular writings, their authenticity would generally be regarded as beyond doubt. Because of the textual evidence, their authenticity would be regarded beyond doubt. So it can be looked at in a reliable sense of being written within a very reasonable time of Jesus being alive. And there's plenty of literature around within a short space of time. And yet, in, in um, history, we would not doubt anything regarding, say, Julius Caesar. So, unique, reliable, third and final point. It's a revelation of God. If you have a Bible with you, would you like to turn with me just briefly? I'm going to read. If you don't have a Bible, then just listen. It's fine. Second book of Timothy. 2 Timothy 3, verse 16, reads like this. I'm reading from the NIV. And if you don't have a Bible, that's fine. Just listen. Speaking about the scriptures and the Bible. It says, all scripture, verse 16, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. All scripture, verse 16, is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. We believe that the Bible, the scriptures, are God-breathed. That they are instigated by God. And so in that sense, the Bible is not only unique, could be considered unique, reliable, but instituted and breathed by God, inspired by God. It's It's a revelation of God. It's a means by which God is able to communicate, to reveal, to show himself to mankind, to you and to me. It's a means that to reveal, not religion, but to reveal relationship. And so the Bible isn't about religion, but it's about God revealing a relationship with mankind. There's an unfolding story throughout the Bible of God's plan for relationship with you and me, with human beings. Right from the Old Testament, from Genesis, the first book of the Bible, right the way through the Old Testament to the New Testament, to the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible. There's an unfolding plan. It's almost as if there's a, there's a strategy, there's a plan unfolding in the page after page that God wants a relationship with people, human beings, on the face of this planet. And so we would say and understand that that's the Bible, the Scriptures, are... God's revelation, self-revelation of relationship that God wants to show human beings of how you and I can have a relationship with God. You know, the paradise lost in Genesis, the Garden of Eden, the paradise lost, becomes the paradise gained in Revelation. It's amazing. Genesis, written possibly, probably by a guy called uh, Moses, the Pentateuch, written several thousand years ago. 
And revelation written by a guy called John on the Isle of Patmos several thousand years later. What was lost is now gained. These two guys not meeting up with each other. And amazingly how this all seems to fit together even over 2,000 years. And two people on different areas of the world could not have construed together to bring it all together. They couldn't have talked to each other about it. Um, It's not coincidence. The chances of the whole pages and all these 40 different authors all working together to share the same emphasis of God wanting a relationship with human beings, God wanting a relationship with human beings, it seems to work its thread right the way through the pages of the, the Old Testament and New Testament are chances of millions to one. Collusion. Many of these people, they came from different backgrounds, different ages, different um, society, over different eras, with different learning. And to cross the barrier, they could not collude to collude. It's as if there is a hand guiding, bringing this together. We believe that would be God. An unseen hand guiding of sense of inspiration, the supernatural hand of God. So the Bible isn't just a book But it's a supernatural book in that sense. It's God revealing his heart to mankind. And so God reveals wanting a relationship with you and me. You know, the Bible has had a profound effect on our society as we come to a conclusion. The Bible has had a profound effect on our society, our country, our nation. You know, it's had... Uh, Such an effect that modern Britain today, our nation today, finds itself fashioned on many principles that are found in the Bible. You might not realize that. You might want to choose not maybe to disagree with that, and that's your prerogative. But if we would look at it, you know, our justice system, the British system of law, has huge foundations upon the Bible. You would take the oath to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. It had been on the Bible. You can, you can now, don't have to do that. You can, you can give your, your pledge without the Bible, if you so wish. But there is this idea of standing on the truth and telling the truth and nothing but the truth. So help me God. M- many of our principles of justice are based on the commandments, the Ten Commandments. Not to steal. I mean, it makes common sense, you would say. <laughs> You know, not to commit murder. I know these would be, but much of our justice system—it's a fact. You can, you can, you want to say too blue, blue in the face, but much of our justice system has um, a huge foundation on this profound book, this incredible book, the Bible. It's remarkable. Throughout history, a number of famous people have brought our nation to be where we are today. A man called William Wilberforce—you may have heard of him, you may not—a Christian man, uh, brought up on the Bible, believing in the Bible. In 1789, going back a bit, but he decided that slavery was wrong for this nation. And so he began to campaign for the abolition of slavery. It took him two decades. decades. He eventually died, uh, but just about saw the abolition of slavery. Our nation was an empire, and it thrived on slavery. Slave labor made the empire work. So you can see there was vested interest and money not to abolish slavery. But it did. He did, through the help of others. And in 1807, the British Parliament voted to abolish the slave trade against all the odds and against economic sense of the day. 
Because a man believed that God says that we are all human beings, have dignity and are equal. And no one should be enslaved. And he was profoundly challenged and revolutionized by the Bible. A man called Robert Peel, another man brought up as a young man. So Robert Peel was brought up as a young man to believe in the Bible. Well, as a young man, he would, his family would sit and discuss the morning and evening sermon of the day. Uh, Robert Peel became a, a prime minister of this nation, but is well known for setting up what is today, the, now we have the, founder, the modern police force. But uh, Robert Peel looked in London at law and order in London and set up a police force, the Metropolitan Police in London, uh, to bring law and order. So was he sort of energised um, to see justice, mercy and truth and order be in London. And uh, the early policemen, and still to this day, are called Bobbies. Robert Peel, it goes from his name. Amazing Christian man, again revolutionized and challenged by the Bible to do something about what he believed. Um, c- coming a, a bit, bit more, a, a, a third and final one you could pick out many for and against, I know, but uh, Thomas Bernardo. Thomas Bernardo, a Christian man, a man who really believed the Bible, decided to uh, make sure that children were not exploited. We're hearing a lot of that today, aren't we? Again today and child slavery in the, in the world and, and that. But he, he was inspired by his Christian faith, so he launched a program of childcare and homes. Bernardo's today, an amazing charity, has its roots going back several hundred years in, in faith. And Bernardo, Thomas Bernardo himself um, was very overtly a, a Christian, taught a religious instruction and encouraged young people to um, come into a relationship with God. So was his heart moved, and today. Um, so in our British law, um, looking at society and life, Law enforcement, social care. There is a tremendous impact that this amazing, unique, reliable, supernatural revelation of God has brought tremendous impact on our nation. Let me read this to you as we close. One Christian writer wrote this, and this is what he had to say about life today and the Bible. He said, It's natural. For every generation to look back on people of previous times with a patronizing attitude. Writing them off as simpletons and irrelevant to a more sophisticated times today. Yet technology and progress doesn't change the same basic issues that humans have always faced since day one. The major problems of current society, such as war, injustice, greed... Infidelity are all scattered through the the Bible's pages. The major needs of people, such as love, happiness, meaning, truth, a sense of purpose, are also dealt with throughout the pages of the Bible. Therefore, although the technology, culture, and language may be different, the Applicability of the biblical message remains timeless. Perhaps even more important to note is the idea that although society may change through the years, God is the same as he ever was, yesterday, today and forever. And Christians believe that because God's character is revealed through this book, that same character is as relevant and timely in this century as it was when it was written nearly 2,000 years ago. I commend it to you. Let's pray together. 
I would encourage you to get hold of a Bible if you haven't got one. If you're a Christian, to value your Bible. If you're a Christian, to base your life on the Bible, the Word of God, the truth. It's helpful and good and useful and inspiring and correcting and training and bringing our lives. And as a Christian, value your Bible. As a Christian, bring your Bible with you when we gather together so that we can read it together. Don't just rely on what you hear. If, you, if you're here this morning and you don't have a Bible, I would just encourage you to get hold of this amazing book. And my challenge to you is have a go at reading some of it for yourself. Start to read it. That's what I did. 20 years of age. Skeptical, not believing in too much, but thinking, wow, this is amazing. I discovered that the Jesus Christ was real and relevant and alive and that God wants a relationship with me and you. Heavenly Father, this morning, thank you for everyone that's here. Thank you for this lovely day. Thank you for the joy uh, of celebrating uh, with Simon and Gail their faith and the prayer of blessing over Catherine today. And we pray your hand upon them as a family, as we have done. And, but also, as we're here today, we thank you for uh, your great love. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that you love every person on the face of this planet. You are of tremendous mercy towards us, and you want a relationship with us. You just want us to, just as the, in the film at the beginning, the son that never opened that book didn't realize the keys were there for the car. And if we never open the book, we might not realize that there are keys to life, keys to an amazing life. So I pray that from today, perhaps some of us will open that book, we'll look for that book, we'll have a read and find some keys and find the key of life that is you, Lord God, and a relationship with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.